0: Hello, and welcome to Dr. Carl Grodd, a podcast dedicated to exploring what makes the secular sacred. Consider me your resident enthusiast. My name is Jameson, and I'm joined by... Uh, your resident theologian, Ben. Oh, he's actually claimed it this week. It sounds uh, good. You'd the... give me...
1: You'd, you'd say something if I didn't, so... Well,
0: well, yeah, I actually had several jokes lined up, but I guess we won't have to use those today, so that's good. Let's keep uh, those in my backpack. It says back move pocket. on right here, actually. It says move on. The production <laughs> notes say, stop talking. <laughs> On today's episode, we're going to be talking about settings, or uh, in some kind of cases, historical context, but essentially, environments such as sci-fi fans, we'll get to it a little bit later, but areas we like to go and kind of tell stories and be invested in, and why is it that those places kind of spark our imaginations? Yeah. Uh, and so Ben and I will be talking about some of our favorite kind of settings, or genres or themes, whatever you would like to, to call it. And then we'll also be exploring how that plays out in the real world and what kind of our cultural context can tell us about who we are and especially informs our faith. But as is typical for yeah. a Dr. Carl Grad podcast, let's do something completely different. Oh. So Burnside. Oh, here we go. I'll start this week. This is a, uh, this is a segment where we like to ask each other uh, unprepped questions to get natural reactions. So, this is completely lucid conversation. (laughs) So, lately, Burnside, you've been dealing with foam core inserts. Is that right? (laughs) Yes. How long does it take you to make an average insert for a board game or some of
1: your figures? So, actually, in uh, this past Sunday, for children's time, I was assigned it, and... The prompt was basically talking about the church and how we we are all they need all of us to be the church. Right. So I looked up all the stuff online and Leah's like, oh, I found this thing. And uh, she said, like, basically you're supposed to take a toolbox up there, say, I need all these tools to build a fence or whatever. Well, I was like, that's not believable or relatable. <laughs> so I literally took all of the tools to build a foam core and literally took a up up on stage and was just like, I made this and I need all these tools to do it. And uh, people love laughing at my nerdiness. Wow! So, so you actually brought your board games into the house of our Lord, yeah. and have you got exposed a board... it to it? Have you got a board game on the worship stream yet? I don't think so. That's true. You are right. <laughs> you are right. In, so my,
0: in my current occupation, they don't even let me on the worship stream that often to begin with. So yeah, that's
1: true. So if you don't if you don't know, I'm basically taking poster board and cutting it and gluing it in such a way to organize board games in the most nerdy and frankly neurotic way as possible. Uh it takes a long time because you have to make plans and cut it. I would say uh a board game organizer, depending on the complexity, probably takes between four to five work hours. Wow. But it only costs three dollars. So So that's four to five BBs or Ben Burnside
0: hours. So that's good.
1: Yes, and I take way too long to do things. So
0: it's okay. It's because you're meticulous and or capital and neurotic, I think is what you brought up earlier. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Well, thanks for informing us.
1: Of course. So my question to you is more imaginative but if you could if you have to live i like have to better if you have to live in a different era which one would it be
0: preferably one that still has penicillin uh that's a great question (laughs) I've been a little obsessed with this uh, lately because some of the games we've been playing, but I would have to probably go with Brussels and Art Nouveau. I think it would be really cool to be there. Was that like 1880, 1870? Through the, yeah, the end of the 1800s? Late century, yeah. Yeah, that would be a really fun, neat time of kind of expressive art, different kinds of architecture. Uh, the climate would be nice.
1: Yeah.
0: I like to think um, I can put up with the amount of fish they're probably going to eat. But the point is, Brussels. <laughs> Preferably and- someone
1: like, moderately wealthy sure
0: <laughs> sure i feel like as a as a giant looking scandinavian person i'm already set for success in that department but you never know what's going yeah, on in you brussels probably back. have
1: the anti-plague genes
0: that's true yeah so late 1800s would be great yeah i just always think that would be kind of a the, the, the days of top hats and glass domes and yeah who knows what else that would be kind of a fun era I, to that's be in. not
1: a that's not even a, an answer i would even thought of so i like these
0: you like these questions? I like
1: the questions. I do. So are you
0: are you complimenting yourself on your own question?
1: No, I'm just saying this this, this <laughs> little thing. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> we need like I'm sure they have them like a box of cards with questions. Oh, conversation they do questions. Yeah,
0: you want to? They they mostly have those for relationship rebuilding. So you want me to get like a okay. marital self help kit for us so we can pull them out and ask each other questions?
1: People already make comparisons. Let's not. Fair
0: enough. To that. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, we'll we'll have our box of touchy feely thoughts for the next pod podcast. But uh, as we shift in kind of the main focus, I just want to reiterate: today's episode is going to be talking a lot about settings, uh, and specifically settings that are kind of catalysts or sparks to our own imaginations, or places that we kind of like to take a while and hear a story, or kind of kind of be. Um, and so, I, Burnside, this is this was very much kind of a passion project of yours that you wanted to talk about. So I'll let you sure. field maybe some opening remarks to kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, so in the nerdy world, things are often set in a fantasy world with orcs and goblins and rare mythical uh, weapons or sci-fi kind of area, and we know that you know that exists because it's fun. I like watching big explosions. I like watching. Uh, medieval battles. But I wanted to ask the question of why does that matter? Why have people done this for so long? And what kind of imaginative possibilities does it open by setting a story, whether we're talking about a video game, we're talking about a board game, we're talking about a movie, a book, whatever, what, why do you set it in a certain area? And what uh, does that open up? So why is it relevant that this particular uh, novel I love is set in the far distant future versus the past versus whatever, and I think it's because you get to place characters in completely different um, settings in which new possibilities are open, where you can ask yourself whether explicitly or implicitly, what would I do in that situation? You know, um, if wh- what would it be like if I lived in a world without electricity? How would that affect the way I exist, or if I lived in a future world where I was basically plugged into the internet in far more deeper ways than I was. So it, it brings up like ethical questions in the same sense that if you're watching a completely normal movie set in current reality, it's usually uh based around people in very extreme positions, whether they're like an expert crime hunter or something. It just pl- allows us to have an imagination to place ourselves in a different position and ask ourselves Ethical questions about how would we respond and what possibilities is that open? Is that I don't know if that's specific enough to give it what I'm saying.
0: No, that's but, good. Uh, what what I'm hearing in there and there's a maybe a word to, to summarize that is it's about immersion. Like, yes can you immerse yourself? That's why sometimes I have often thought of settings also as themes because yeah, or uh, as um as is germane to the to the month that we're in now is Halloween costumes. Can you put something on to be someone else for a little while to kind of take. proverbial you know stroll in their shoes because it helps it helps you to think differently engage differently consider uh, their vantage point in the ways in which they would solve problems kind of from a different perspective and I think I think a lot of us enjoy that kind of make-believe because it helps us feel creative and I don't know it just it helps to spark something in us I think that we all want to to dream and almost have—I um, was going to say fantasies. I think that's still the word I want. But my point is, like, there's something about the imagination that's powerful and compelling. And sometimes, uh, the to steal a line from the Dark night, sometimes if we feel like the truth isn't good enough, so we have to come up with kind of our own world, where the world where, yeah. where, where where we really wanted to have had happen actually happens. So, I,
1: I, I guess I'm saying that I think there's significance to setting beyond just escapism okay that's fair. you know what i mean that's fair that's fair. so I, I think there is a way in which we transport and i agree with you but i'm I'm trying to make the, the kind of suggestion that it's more than just getting away from our circumstances it allows us to move ahead in our own self-journey by experiencing this decision. okay
0: so you're you're almost talking about it as um some kind of intellectual or spiritual practice like it is the practice of engaging in different worldviews or settings allows us to actually grow in our own wisdom or knowledge or of capability because we are we are literally thinking outside the box yes gotcha that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah Yeah. i just couldn't articulate it before no you're
0: (laughs) fine and and of course i went with it for the halloween candy explanation because it is october so it is
1: october Awesome,
0: so I think what we wanted to start with uh, as we continue through the podcast here is to talk about some of our maybe it's fair to say more formative settings or more more interesting our preferred, yeah, our favorites, however you want to describe that, so Ben, what is a particular setting you've always enjoyed kind of thinking in
1: <laughs> so i I chose a very specific example, but just to generally set it up, um for me, it's always been science fiction because science fiction allows this kind of futuristic setting of of questioning in many ways. So I have, I have lots of examples, so I'll just choose one. So in, in the world of Star Trek, the reason I like it is probably the reason pe- a lot of people don't like it is because Star Trek's really about having a lot of conversations and sitting around in rooms. You know, It's not the most action.
0: That may be the most apt description of that show I've ever heard. A bunch of people <laughs> sitting around having
1: conversations in rooms continue. Right. In Star Wars, they just run to a battle. In Star Trek, the captain pulls them into the room and says, is it ethical to engage in battle with these people? And, they, and then everyone offers their opinion, and he makes a decision, and then pretty much the episode's over by that point. You right. know? So, But it's set in the future where um, humanity has progressed to the point of peace, at least among humans. There's no currency. What's a world without currency? I don't know. They have the prime directive where they're not allowed to interact with other cultures or to affect them in significant ways. So there's all these ethical quandaries of um if you find this new civilization and um, they don't believe in medical practices to save lives. Are you allowed to intervene to save mm-hmm. lives? You know, this is kind of and that makes us ask questions of how do we interact with other cultures different than our own? You know,
0: as you say, but in Star Trek, they call it the prime directive,
1: right? prime directive. Yeah.
0: Is that not what I said? No, I can't remember. That was I was so entranced by the thought of a bunch of people sitting around <laughs> in loungers with Klingon makeup that I just had a hard time
1: so, focusing. So rather than paint for you a picture of the entire Star Trek universe, I'm going to choose one specific episode, okay?
0: Wow, we are going nerdy today. Yeah. Please, lay it oh, on us. Yeah. Thick sure. and Star trek Sure.
1: So this comes from Deep Space Nine. Nice. Which is my favorite. At least you picked
0: a good one of the series. I got gotcha. you. Uh, <laughs> I have many opinions on that, okay. many. Many versions of Star Trek.
1: That's not <laughs> that's not here there nor there. I'm gonna
0: look out there because I know that Trekkies are a huge part of our fan base. Um I love you and I love the fact that Cleon subtitles are a thing in the board game community because it makes me think of you. So
1: there you go. So moving on, um there's this one episode called The Visitor, and I share this because it has stuck with me and I think about it. It's not I didn't just watch it and it disappeared. So anyway, basically I'm gonna go it's a long, long plot. I'm gonna summarize it as short as possible. So Captain Sisko is the main character of Deep Space Nine. He experiences some warp drive energy that displaces him in time. Yes, we're talking about time travel. Nice. So he disappears from time. His son Jake is distraught by this um, because he is left and is gone and presumed dead. The Klingons take over the, uh, the station his son, Jake, moves home, becomes a famous author, gets married. All of a sudden, his dad appears in his living room, you know, after like 20 years. And he's excited to see his son has become successful and all these kinds of things. But this makes Jake realize that his father's not dead, but his father is stuck in time somehow. And so he's experiencing it in seconds, but Jake's experiences gaps of years. And so this makes him become obsessed with quantum physics and time travel and all this stuff. He becomes like the world expert on this and devotes his whole life to it. But the the negative is that it ends up destroying him because he ends up getting a divorce. He ends up after writing like one of the best selling books of all time, ends up writing nothing. And all this is told from the context of him being very old and sharing this story with a young writer. Um and so eventually he comes back uh, and um, Cisco is very upset because his son has w- has wandered from his fruitful path and has become obsessed with trying to bring him back, which is not what he wanted as a father. Um, and then finally, at the very end, and at this point, Jake, his son, is you know eighty something years old, but he realizes that the that they the two are linked, and this is wonky science, but the two of them are linked. So the only way for him to break him out of the time warp is for him to. Uh, basically commit suicide so he takes this like injection of something so he'll die and then that will unlock cisco now here's the reason i'm i mention all this because cisco comes back to the private the 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 main moment when the the warp energy is coming coming at him that caused this whole plot to go in motion and dodges it because he knows it's coming and jake says oh that you know how did how did you know that was coming? And he's like, I, just, I guess I just got lucky. Now, it doesn't address this in the Star Trek episode, but Cisco is the only one that has the memory of all this happening. He has watched his son live his entire life, make good decisions, then make bad decisions in his presence. So in one way, he has to continue on with this knowledge and experience of his son living a life, dying for him to lock him out, and then go back to the present with this entire memory comp- within him compressed, yeah. compressed all, and he has to carry that burden. Right now, in in one sense, we don't have time travel, so we can't access this. But do you just do they compartmentalize it and be like nothing that's real? But I can't imagine that. And it was also a treatment of grief because we've we've all lost people that we wish we had connection with going forward, and he did have grief, and he. Uh Jake the son had grief and and lived through it and processed it well because he pursued his lifelong dream of being a writer. He got happily married, but then that grief was upended by knowing that Cisco is still alive right and then that that grief that could not be fixed because he knows he's out there would just internalized inside of him and destroyed him by making him obsessed with it now ultimately, he was successful. So it's all these ethical questions of, was that the right thing to do? I don't know. But this is a life that was lived at some point in time. Now, now it's erased by the current sure. timeline. But it, it makes me ask questions of of, what is grief if you can't let go? And it drives you to obsession. Because he was able to come back and say, you shouldn't have obsessed about me. You should have let me go. Right? Right. Um, but his sacrifice allowed him. Yeah, I don't know.
0: That makes sense, (laughs) right? Because that's what I was thinking about. Is those those time travel often has a couple kind of like I think major philosophical, you know, through lines. And the one that you're hitting on today is often with time travel, you'll have this instance where some character, some group of characters, will have a lived reality that then is the clock is set back to normal. So then they're stuck with this. Technically speaking, they lived it, but they lived it in a way where it was almost not permanent because it's been yeah. corrected uh they deal with this a lot in doctor who because he's kind of always oh, the one that's left with like the lingering memory of what was and what can be you just have, they don't
1: want to address it really right you just have to be like they have all those experiences right
0: so that's that's fascinating then because then you're saying well then what is the nature of grief what is real can you still grieve something you know he's he's grieving the son that died for him essentially but in the same way now his son is alive so here and 13 again. At 13 again. So, yeah, so you're dealing with all of the ramifications of and what that means. And then questions of
1: how do I parent him in such a way that he'll go down this path and not this right. path.
0: Right. And yeah, and then to a lot of to a, to a, a big extent, the burden of knowledge. I think this is not something we talk about a lot, but if we're all honest and we're listening to, to Burnside talk about this episode, we're probably like, well, yeah, well, I want to know everything. I want to have all this information. But I don't think we consider the fact that having to shoulder that kind of – Lived experience, yeah. It's also damaging for Cisco because he's got to he's got to shoulder that and figure out how do I piece this out. Who do I even talk to about this? And so there's a whole grief isolation aspect, right? Where a lot of times when we lose people, we're going through a season of grief or loss. Like we feel like we're the only ones and we can't talk to anyone yeah. about it. And especially in this very very literal sense, like this didn't happen except to you because everyone else, yeah. <laughs> you're like you you literally went into a a parallel reality and came back yeah so, they're time travel
1: counselors and right
0: star trek <laughs> right yeah doctor who needs to show up and be like i get you bro time travel is a big wibbly wobbly mess you know but that that's a really good uh yeah it's really they, good because i it was also interesting i hope if you're listening like i wonder how many parents out there are listening and thinking man that makes me feel something emotional
1: i wasn't expecting it And like, I was like, oh, another time travel episode, whatever. Because usually they resolve themselves Mm -hmm. just to be fun. But this one just hit me right in the feels. Right. Which doesn't happen often.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: He's a cold, unfeeling individual.
0: (laughs) Only slightly more, only slightly more or less, depending on the day, cold and unfeeling than myself. We're really, we're really awful people. Thanks for watching. (laughs) Uh, No, but that, that, and that goes right to your point about setting, right? Is that setting because of how it engages with your imagination, it, it connects with you in a different way. It kind of laurel laurel that's not a word lured you cannot say lured thank you lured you in i'm like apparently i can't talk today it it brought you in let's do that okay because you're you're used to kind of what sci-fi can offer and then it gives you the old one two sucker punch because it's like it it's there's something about engaging with settings that we enjoy that almost lowers our natural defenses Mm -hmm. and then we're much more receptive to what it's saying yeah because i wonder if someone was just telling us an emotional recount of something that had actually happened in their lives if our normal defenses would have been like, okay, this is situation. Let me go through the manners of how I treat this person. But it's almost yeah. like Cisco being a character on a TV show where you don't expect it to be real suddenly gives you a very emotional yeah. feeling. And I think for a lot of us that watch TV, we all have those shows that connect with us in very deep and meaningful ways. I still remember a gentleman at my church that still gets choked up at the end of MASH yeah. But for him, it's because he also experienced the Vietnam War. And so yeah. it's it is a there's a direct parallel between like those characters kind mm-hmm. of believing the end of MASH, but also his personal experience, the, what what he went through. And so that's I've always found that kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as well. So man.
1: What yeah. is your example? I don't know, but share? I don't
0: want to share now because that's I got the feels too. I'm thinking about that. It makes <laughs> me think about my my little guy. At the rebel age of three, whether or not he would go into, yeah, I'd be proud of him. He went into quantum physics and <laughs> <laughs> obsessed with time travel. So let's see. Uh, one of my favorite in, uh, environments uh, to kind of think—it's one of my favorite video games of all time—and now it's a cultural phenomenon that like launched entire genres of gaming. But that's that's Warcraft. So yep. you may not be as familiar with that, but World of Warcraft is a huge
1: wow for those. Yeah, wow.
0: I mean it's so big that they went back to being basic literally wow vanilla and people have like bought it hand and fist i mean it came out when we were in high school so it means yep. it's
1: i played it right when it came out not for it's, long it, it's but almost I
0: did. it's almost old enough to have graduated high school itself by now which is just a ridiculous thing that it's you know almost two decades old and still going very strong and and the whole idea of wow is it's it's essentially um a lord of the rings-esque fantasy universe but just with a different take on creatures and uh, minotaurs and other kinds of stuff Toran, i guess is what they're called there and the whole premise is that you have um a group the orcs you know the, the classic greenskins their planet is dying so they have to leave and they come to um azeroth because they need a new place to live but of course there's people in azeroth and so this is about all this conflict of like factions that are coming together to claim what's there and there's what i've always liked about warcraft uh, other than i'm kind of a big fantasy guy anyways uh, is that the story is always complicated and that's one something i think fantasy has always done well is it typically fantasy typically revolves around like questions of honor commitments uh Fate, like yeah. there's a lot of like destiny conversation, yeah. but it's essentially like this is my family lineage. Because you got to remember that fantasy is essentially based on a, of European bloodlines, so you have a lot of like inheritance and like I, the right of kings kind of thinking. Right. But then a typical fantasy conflict would be like I am the I'm the heir apparent to the throne, but I feel like I no longer support the kingdom or being pulled in a different directions. So like, where does my honor? Or duty lie or sometimes the kingdom has fallen like i'm almost more loyal to the idea of the kingdom than the actual kingdom itself so you typically have that kind of honor chivalry dynamic which i always find interesting because it's it's something that i feel personally i constantly struggle with i'm definitely like a loyalty by the numbers person yeah and so when i get stressed that stretched i kind of like a space to go where i can see someone else figure it out and be like yeah they may have a point there well what can't orcs teach me but in Warcraft specifically, I think it was one of the the first games where like, I played and the bad guys aren't all bad. So we you often would look at orcs, and like in Lord of the Rings, orcs are just straight up evil. I mean, they're created by Mordor too. Yeah,
1: they're like dark spawn basically. And
0: what you find with the orcs in Warcraft is there are some um, evil people like Gul'dan and some other folks that are kind of engaged in nefarious black magic. But at the other time, the the a lot of the clans are honestly just folks trying to survive, find a place for them for them to live. Like they're they're almost like noble barbarians that we would expect. They just happen to be green. But it doesn't matter because as humans, you look at them and you think you're gonna fight. And there's also you think humans are gonna be the guys on the right. But you know they not have always. mages that are corrupt. Yeah, it's and so you had this really interlocking web of really pushed me as a young person to not just look at literally the color of someone's skin be it green or white or pale white if you're an elf i guess or even uh tree if you're bark bark if you will
1: uh skin or bark i don't know
0: skin or bark yeah because it's it's more about like where is your honor and your duty and so in the warhammer world you had these cool stories of orcs and humans teaming up because they had a shared goal a lot of complicated history a lot of frustration that they would express but they would unite a specific course and i just thought that was so cool i'm like oh wow these people are laying aside kind of their their frustration and their differences in order to accomplish a greater task and so i've always loved uh warcraft and kind of that universe because i think it speaks to me in such a powerful way i'd never really gotten to wow but warcraft 3 is still one of my favorite video games of all time and burns i can tell you that when we were in seminary i moved onto his sofa and pretty much beat that and the Frozen Throne, which is the expansion, in like a week. I don't think i moved off your sofa except
1: to go to dinner with you. Yeah, 10 years after it was released. That's right.
0: Yeah. It was awesome. It was very so, it was very
1: trendy. So you you like Warcraft because it adds some color to the black and white world of yes. old school fantasy. Yes. it's just like, these people are evil. These people are good.
0: Right. And I think that, not really a complaint against Lord of the Rings, but one thing about Lord of the Rings, because I love the trilogy and I get the Blu-ray extended edition. Like, it's awesome. It is at times very like black against white. Yeah. Um, good against bad. And I think Warcraft does a better job of really muddying
1: the waters. Yeah. Well I mean, I mean we could talk about Lord of the Rings too, but he did that intentionally to mirror the dualism no, I know. from biblical narratives. But anyway, it doesn't matter.
0: No, I agree. No, but <laughs> and that's where I, that, that's what I want to say. It's not. A, I, I want to be clear. I'm not knocking Lord of the Rings. No, I know. I'm but saying yeah. it has it has a different purpose, right? Like to, to to your exact point, is he literally? I mean, the Silmarillion and all that stuff is literally to take biblical concepts and weave them into a fantasy. Yeah, because it's like ridiculous
1: it to think that there's a town full of people where they're all just evil doing evil stuff all day long. You know, but right. that's that's Lord of the Rings. They're right. evil towns and good. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah, so, e-
0: evil nations and good nations, and, and and C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, to some extent, almost bridges this, but he has, you know, there are bad bad kingdoms and good kingdoms because it, yeah, it that in itself, and I, and again, I as I feel like I'm overcompensating now, but that is a storytelling dynamic. I I think it's powerful. Just for yeah. me,
1: I wasn't knocking it in right, that way.
0: but I think for me, I had, I was used to that, and what Warcraft put forward was a much more convoluted.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Like you could. Like in some of the campaigns you would have parties that were made up of all factions and you're like, What is going on here? Why are even the end of Warcraft three is all of the typically warring factions coming together to fight the big bad. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, What? When, why would you ever do that? It's like, well, it's because it's what you do.
1: Um, so one of the things when it comes to speculative looking forward it is kind of talking about using fiction and Uh, science fiction to think about theology, um, which is something that, uh, you know, there's a lot of relation between science and theology. We don't have to go all into that, maybe on a future podcast, but C.S. Lewis is a good example. Tolkien's a good example of using fiction and Christian themes to kind of pull out theological ideas. But one of the things I found interesting was asking questions of science fiction and their impact on, you know, we with just let's just use the um, standard science fiction plot of aliens arriving and us dealing with them. Um uh, the, the day mo-
0: the earth stood still.
1: Yeah. So the, in the movies, it's all like, how's the government respond? Are they wanting to kill us? How more advanced are they? Can we make peace with them? What do they want? And usually it goes one of different ways. And since we're pastors and we talk about religion all the time, I don't really think about those questions. I think about what impact would that have upon my faith? Right. right. And so, okay, if there are aliens, and this is just a thought exercise to make us think, what is it that we believe, right? So if aliens appeared in the sky, what impact would that have upon our understanding of the image of God, right? I mean, there's no arguing that the Bible is a very quote-unquote Earth-specific book, right? right? To the point where some people have said that, oh, the Earth is in the center of the universe, or the, uh, That aliens can exist based upon the bible right i mean people have made those arguments but so if they did exist how would that affect our understanding of the image of god have they heard of christianity christ have they not do they have a similar version that's like compatible weirdly i don't know what those answers are but it makes me think oh well what would it mean if there was a group of people who have never heard this and what would that mean for God's creation if he created these other p- group of people? Are we supposed to tell them? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. and I feel like Futurama has answered this very well with Space Pope, but keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just it makes you ask questions. So in the history of the church, w- the way that we came to believe certain things was often not through us just figuring it out, but for someone else getting it really wrong. Sure. And we heard something that they said, you know, speaking as the church over thousands of years, we heard something that they said, we said, well, that's wrong. Like people saying, oh, well, Jesus wasn't really God. He's like some sort of weird secondary God. And we're like, well, that's wrong. So what is it that we believe? And I think looking at the faith through the lens of fantasy, for example, or the lens of story um, fairy tales or the lens of science fiction can help us at least make steps towards thinking about what we believe in a slightly different context because all all this kind of stuff uh, will someone coming uh will aliens coming out of the sky negate our faith no probably not but it will make us think about it very differently
0: yeah i agree so you're saying that it allows you to kind of engage with questions that are not around yet or perhaps or outside the scope of like your current time reality because we're not none of us are sitting around thinking there's an impending reality that aliens will show up in ufos however it's just a fun thought experiment We know what's interesting though is you know that anytime scientists discover some of the elements that would be required for life somewhere in the galaxy it's a huge news story why because there's some part of us that are fascinated by the idea that life exists beyond earth and it seems very likely that in some way depending on how you define life there is life beyond earth but you know i like your question what would that mean for god's work here and now on earth and in earth two or earth prime or whatever we're going to call it oh here we go yeah right i don't want to fall. it if
1: there's a multiverse you know like you can keep asking questions for forever
0: right and 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 what we also want to say is we find these to be fun conversations we're not actually here to try to give you definitive answers to oh, any of this no, no, right but sometimes this is where i think people can get a little freaked out because if you go too down far down the rabbit hole we don't we talked about this in a previous podcast we don't want you to just be like well then it's all relative and it's really just what you think and because it, it can kind of devolve right but we are saying that yeah sometimes it's good to think outside the box and i will say plenty of people of faith kind of like i joked once like they don't ask you what faith you are before you went and saw the last jedi that I think a lot of us, even if we are spiritual, we enjoy these kind of environments because we want to ask interesting questions that, that we haven't thought about before. Yeah. So that's a really good point good point and a good thing to bring up. So I guess then, uh, since we've tackled the far-reaching realms of Azeroth and Deep Space Nine, which I'm sure for all of us, that's why you signed on today is you wanted to hear us <laughs> ramble on about that what does it mean then for us to practice maybe what we already know if you know i watch the lord of the rings movie for instance which like i said i love i love the blu-ray trilogy it's one of the few times i'm like get the extended cuts because they make it really exceptional one of the best no it is really long (laughs) but still one of the best soundtracks ever i mean it's just it's a it's a masterpiece it really is a masterpiece in my opinion but what what about that do I then take maybe back to the Bible, for instance? Because yeah. I, we all, we talk about this a lot. Um, for those that you may be more comfortable in the life of the church, you know that in a lot of sermons or messages or Bible studies, that cultural context, that setting is so important to understanding what people are thinking and going through. Because what is bad is if we show up in Deep Space Nine and try to apply our 2020 thinking, Onto Mm -hmm. advanced science fiction, or if I wound up in Azeroth with orcs and I was trying to explain to them the power (laughs) of electricity, like that wouldn't make sense. But in the same way, when we think about historical context, and today we're just specifically talking about biblical context, we also got to be careful that we allow ourselves to exist in their world. Yeah. To understand how they're answering their questions and not bring our modern way of thinking and saying, well, clearly people 2000 years ago thought exactly like us. So let's just tell them the conclusions they should draw. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so I think context in biblical stories allows us to understand what was so revelation and revelatory and shocking. I think it adds so much more. I'll give a small example. Um, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. If you read that story and you know nothing about the historical context of the Bible, it's an impactful story. Jesus takes time to talk to this woman, um, basically ends up convincing her that he is the water— the light <laughs> he is the messiah he is the water that you know you will drink and never be thirsty again right right and she kind of confesses that she's not that great of a person but if you know a little bit about the historical context you know about samaritans that the jews and the samaritans both um, were following the same god and read the same scripture but had different opinions about where you should worship is it jerusalem or is it somewhere else so they were very close, and sometimes you don't know that, but it, that resulted in you don't a Jewish person does not talk to a Samaritan. Period. Right. Also, customs of the day were that single men do not talk to single woman. Right. In scandalous. Very, it's, it's very scandalous. And the fact that she was out during the day getting water, you know, all this kind of stuff. So Jesus is crossing two very big uh, cultural barriers to acknowledge her it would have been far beneath them to even have that conversation right, right. Well, and,
0: okay. I think it's fair to say in the with enough uh, leverage put against him I mean that's that could be career ending for a rabbi to
1: do something like that oh yeah he would have been declared unclean right. scandalous I mean ultimately that's what got him killed cuz he ate with sinners you know but um having that little bit of extra extra historical context which is not explicit but you know you can figure it out pretty quickly from the bible Mm -hmm. just gives you a a lens and every story that you know we preach or that we investigate we go oh well you know here's a little bit about the ancient world that can help us understand it and that doesn't mean it it limits it to that historical context but we gain extra meaning meaning like jesus was willing to cross any cultural barriers or implied social barriers well we have those today it's not talking to women in public you know we don't have samaritans next to us in america but what are our social barriers and would jesus cross them you know so i think context allows us to connect better in the present today in the same way that we've been talking about with nerdy things
0: yes and i think one thing that you hit on that is good for us to remember is when we tell stories we're already assuming something about the context because we know them so if i say an aggie walks into a bar in austin yeah there's already something in that where you know well aggies and t-sips they kind of have this love hate kind of friendly college rivalry like there's something to that story already you are assuming something a thousand years from now for someone yep. to read that story and says an aggie walks into we'll need a, a bar and, <laughs> yeah and in austin they're like what's that you would either glance over that that wouldn't matter And so that's one thing we need to be careful of whenever we read really any historical document, especially the Bible is you really want to make sure you understand what, what the hearer of that story would have known is obvious because we are not them. And we were going to miss, especially the cultural sensitivities. I mean, it's even different from 40 years ago. I mean, my, my grandmother, my mom sometimes feel differently about things than I do because they have a whole different understanding of what that word meant or what that, you know, situation included, and, and I think that different
1: historical events than you have, right?
0: uh You know, it, or you just we think about someone, a figure, kind of because like that's kind of come up recently, but like Martin Luther King, who in the '60s <laughs> was a very controversial, sometimes hated person, and now we're building monuments to him, and everyone loves him, and all sides agree that he's great. Well, what's changed in 40 years? Well, we have come to appreciate that as part of our context, our story. Yeah. And sometimes when we read even uh, historical accounts, which is hard to, it's a little strong to call an historical account from the 1960s, but it technically is. But we even lose something that Martin Luther King may have gone through because we're not even, we're not back in the 60s knowing that, oh, by him doing X, him walking into this diner, him walking on this road, yeah. like this is a statement he's making. And I was listening to, or just preaching politics. Right. I was reaching to I was listening to someone who was talking about his life and I'm, um, on about one of his marches. If I was smart, I would have remembered some of the details or written them down. So I apologize, but I was like, "Dang, I actually didn't know that." This is this is American history from 1960, and already I'm like, I had forgotten that about that town. So I didn't realize that's why it was so important for him to Mm, walk down that street. I'm like, "Oh, that's really fascinating." Um, Or how long is it going to be? You know, how many hundreds of years is it going to be when all the Martin Luther King boulevards that are out there, people have to be like, "Who was that again?" You know, and yeah, that and that's no, that it. and that's a hard thing with history, right? It's it's very easy because we're very wrapped up in the present moment to kind of forget about the context and putting ourselves in, in kind of the shoes of those that we're living in.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, great. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed. We could keep talking about this. In fact, we were Forever, joking. Yeah. We were joking that this is such a big topic. We'll probably return to it a time or two because honestly, um, whatever your favorite hobby, whatever your favorite theme, whatever your favorite kind of fantasy sci-fi setting is we I think we often return because we enjoy the way it makes us think makes us feel but also we enjoy the ways that allows us to think yeah and so I hope today we just started to scratch that itch of why it's so important to understand the setting to immerse yourself and to really try to draw from it at the end of all of our podcasts we like to talk about something that's nerdy that's significant in our lives it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's coming up like a pre order could be something we're just excited to to see or do or to participate in. So, Ben, I'm gonna let you go first because I'm feeling <laughs> very generous today.
1: <laughs> so, what is something you're excited about? Um, I recently finished watching the Last Airbender.
0: This is the original?
1: Yes, the uh, original. Animated-
0: yeah. Cora, I could talk.
1: Well, I finished watching Last Airbender, and I've started watching The Legend of Korra. Gotcha. They're both shows I did not watch in their original runs, Um, and I've watched them now that they're on Netflix. And I've always heard they were good, but I'm always like, "Ah, it's a kid show, isn't it?" They're really good. Yeah, they're really good. And I thought Legend of Korra at first, I was like, "I don't know, it's kind of more of the same," but it's even better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're at all interested in watching a very well uh, paced, very good fantasy kind of show you can't go wrong with last airbender as long as you don't mind a little silliness because it is intended for children but it's just written so well
0: awesome well yeah last airbender is good i will definitely say i like legend of Korra more uh, i don't know what it was I maybe it seems to be tighter it's shorter sometimes the, the longer shows kind of lose me through parts of it because it just keeps going, you're really good with long-form anime, though. Like, you've watched One Piece and other stuff, where after a couple hundred episodes, I'm like, I... Mean, I, I think it,
1: I think Core is longer. I is it know. longer? I thought Lost
0: like, was was longer.
1: I, I think they're pretty similar. Anyway.
0: The point is that I look like an idiot, because this is on recording. So one thing I want to give a shout-out to is I've gotten really into board game trading recently, and I've been trying to convert Burnside. Tell me more. But, but there's a company called Board Game Co., which I highly recommend, but if you have board games you like to trade in, he will do bulk trades with you. And so you just log up your BGG profile. You have to put things that like are for trade or you want for trade. Mm-hmm. Go to the website. You make huge trades together. You save on shipping. It's awesome. I've completely yeah. flipped. I can't, I think I've traded up till, I think I've traded now within like 14 games and I've gotten 14 back or something. So it's, it's a way to flip your collection to, to get rid of stuff that you're never playing to act for stuff that you might play yeah so i've been very excited
1: about them so that sounds very interesting but i like to imagine that you're in front of your house with a table you have a sign that says jameson's board game bazaar and you're just waiting
0: i am for the for the neighborhood kids and then then your wife is like
1: come in honey
0: (laughs) no No, there's there's, there's a kid coming on a bike he's gonna want this really old dusty euro trust me trust me i'm gonna sell one honey i'm gonna sell one all right (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, As I said, this is Dr. Carl Grodd. We're a podcast dedicated to exploring what makes the secular sacred. I've been your resident enthusiast, Jameson.
1: And I've been your resident theologian, Ben.
0: Until next time.
1: Bye.